0: What's going on everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of landgrantholyland.com, soundcloud.com slash landgrantholyland, or searching the Hangout in the Holy Land on Apple Podcasts is where you can find the show. I want to thank you guys for listening in tonight. My name is Colton Denning and I am your host and man, we have a lot of stuff to talk about, about the Ohio State Buckeyes and Ohio State football and so to do that on tonight's show i am joined by my usual co-host patrick mayhorn patrick i hope you haven't gotten left out of anything recently because the ohio state buckeyes did today
1: (laughs) yeah i um i recently got left out of the uh the patrick playoffs it was it was a disappointment but uh it it was a good season and uh, i'm very proud of myself and just just looking forward to the to the next game and whatever the future holds (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, we also got left out of the podcast playoffs yeah. on this show, so we know how you feel Ohio State, <sighs> but um, we, we got a ton to talk about on tonight's podcast, and we're going to talk about the Big Ten Championship, what happened, recap the game, give our thoughts on Ohio State's 27-21 victory last night over the Wisconsin Badgers in Indianapolis. Ohio State wins their first Big Ten title since 2014, but... To kick off the show, uh, the the biggest story is the college football playoff in Ohio State landing just outside of the top four. The committee goes with Alabama for that number four spot, and Ohio State ends up at five. There was a huge debate on Twitter after the game last night. A lot of talk this morning, and then the selection show today, and Alabama gets in at four, um, I, I guess, the the— Easiest question to ask is, what do you think about the committee putting Ohio State in that fifth spot? Are you upset that they got left out of the playoff? What, what do you make of that decision?
1: I'm not sure how popular of a decision this is among Buckeye fans, but honestly, I think it's fine. I mean, um, I know I, I know you agree that, you know, it's kind of... It is what it is, and I think that that's kind of a general sentiment that I have seen. I'm not sure how widely accepted that is, as I said, but, I mean, Ohio State lost two games, and both of them were blowouts, and one of them was to a really bad Iowa team that they absolutely had no business losing by 30 points to, and, you know, you generally— can't do that and still expect to compete for a national title and um do i think oh do i think alabama was deserving in that fourth spot no probably not but ohio state certainly wasn't either and you know the, with the way that this is to miss setup, up ucf had no chance at actually getting in despite being undefeated who is that's the team i probably would have you know had be in the playoff but i think five is fine i think five is probably about right for what this team is um i think this team's ceiling is significantly higher than five i think that this team's ceiling is a championship but we just we didn't see that team show up enough, um, especially against good teams. And uh, I, I think that the, the committee's decision is is justified and understandable.
0: As you referenced uh, to, to start that, if you're really upset about Ohio State not making the playoff, this podcast episode may uh, <laughs> may not be the one for you because Patrick and I aren't going to uh, to Cape. Ohio State on this episode and, and talk about it being a travesty that they missed out on the playoffs. I, I think a couple things uh, about this in the committee's decision. And and first of all, I, I think that the argument for Alabama getting in over them is ridiculously flawed because Auburn is really the only top-level team they played all season. I'm not even sure if Auburn's good. Yeah, and we're not <laughs> even sure if Auburn is that type of caliber team after we saw what Georgia did to them in the SEC title game last night and Alabama got demolished by them and they can say that they played a top level Florida State team at the beginning of the season and DeAndre Francois was still healthy all they one, but Florida State went six and six. And the only reason they even went six and six was because they got to reschedule that game against Louisiana Monroe. So so I think that the argument that oh Alabama's unequivocally a better team than Ohio State is flawed and quite frankly just untrue. So, you know, that that's whatever, but To your point as well, I think that the main reason Ohio State got left out of the playoff was their own inconsistency, and people can bring up conspiracy theories that, well, the committee didn't want to pit them up against Clemson again last year after what happened in the playoff. I I think that's bullshit, personally. I don't think that that factored into any of this. You know, My big thing with this is it all came down to the game in Iowa City and the fact that Ohio State lost that game by 31 points because if they go and they, and they lose like 30 to 27 I think that most people would have been okay with that even though Iowa finished the season the way that they did but the fact that they got blown out and not only that but they gave up 55 points to Iowa really gives them no room to complain about anything they kind of made their bed with this in this can be something we talk about as a larger theme to the season and even the Wisconsin game and something more we bring up as, as we look back on this season in its totality is, a uh, the inconsistency of the team popped its head up. And I think that that was the main reason that they got left out of the playoff. And I completely agree with you that do I think that they can be a much better team than number five? Absolutely. I think that there are points that, and for a majority that they look like the best team in the country this season. And the S and P numbers reflect that. And a couple of other advanced statistics, I think reflect that, but just consistency overall, they only have themselves to blame for missing out on the playoffs. So I think that, Some fan base was going to be really upset, whether it was Ohio State or Alabama that got left out. I think either would have been justified, and Ohio State just just came up short, and um, I I don't think that it's necessarily undeserving. It's unfortunate that we won't get to see them in the playoff, but uh, I, I think, like I've said, that's really their own doing that they didn't make it
1: yeah and something i was thinking about just kind of earlier today reflecting on the season thinking about different games that you know could have gone a different way things like that and a game that kind of stuck in my head was um do you think that there would have been a, a different result in the playoff maybe ohio state getting in rather than being left out had um iowa held on and beaten penn state and penn state hadn't lost to michigan state do you think that that if Iowa had that big win and and state remained, you know, 10 and 2 at the end of the season taking away that Michigan State loss but adding the Iowa loss do do you think that that would have made a, a big difference because personally I I don't think it would have I think that losing the way that Ohio State did to Iowa um, really kind of did the Buckeyes in and, you know, you, you can look at external explanations and, you know, hypotheticals and all that stuff. But it, it came down to Ohio State looked like garbage in two games and they you, you can't do that.
0: I don't know how much of a difference it would have made. And I don't even know if we can say that it would have or would not have because. And other other people have referenced this today. Uh, for anybody that's outside of the committee that wants to act like they know how the committee thinks, like you're just throwing darts at a board you can't see, man. Like They can say what they want, and Kirby Hokut can say what he wants about uh, justifying who gets in every year. And, and I think that it's fine that they go with different criteria every year. I, I think that that's, that's the way it should be. Each season presents its own different problems, and there was a reason that Ohio State got into the playoff last year, and there was a reason they were left out uh, this season, and I think that other people have referenced this today by the comments they made today about Alabama getting in. Retroactively, you look back at that 2015 Ohio State team, they got fucked out of the playoff based off of all of the uh, all the statements that they made today about Alabama making it. So I, I think it goes to show that the criteria really uh, isn't stable year-to-year year with what the committee wants to do. So I don't know if that would have made a huge difference. And something that probably irked me the most about the talk about Ohio State after winning last night's game that I, I don't think was fair, and I don't know how much this was reflected by the committee, is um people acted like Wisconsin just isn't good at all. And I, I don't think that that's fair I don't know if Wisconsin was the fourth best team in the country coming into it I don't think they were but they were at the very least one of the best defenses in the country and to just kind of disregard Ohio State beating them I think it's absolutely crazy because they beat a really good Wisconsin team something that nobody else had done even when you look at uh kind of Wisconsin's schedule and it being light and to just regard that as oh they beat what you would usually associate with like a nine and three Wisconsin team is pretty unfair. And to have the standard be well, you know, they, they didn't win by 35 points, so they shouldn't be in the playoff is kind of ridiculous. But I also think they didn't do themselves any favors last night because they had that game well in hand a couple of times and they could have made a real big statement. And I don't know if, beating Wisconsin by 30 would have been enough to put them in the playoff, but it's a shame that we didn't find out because they had that game in hand, and we'll talk about this more here in a couple minutes, but um, may- maybe, maybe not.
1: Yeah, I, I've certainly, I've seen some of the talk that, you know, Wisconsin isn't, you know, I, I've seen people say Wisconsin isn't good, or, you know, Wisconsin wasn't deserving of being where they were, which, I mean, Wisconsin beat every single team they played except for Ohio State, and they did it convincingly Um, Wisconsin's win expectancy rate uh, according to S&P plus was 11.7 coming into this game which basically means that pretty much every single game they played they did it in a way where they would have won it 10 out of 10 times I mean this was a legitimately very very good Wisconsin team and Ohio State you know to their credit Essentially, you know, as you said, we'll talk about this more in detail in a couple minutes after we get through some some bowl talk and a c- couple more takes. But Ohio State, to their credit, beat Wisconsin. I think pretty much entirely on talent, because they certainly didn't do it with you know intelligent football play or good scheming or you know even discipline-free football. It was pretty much just Ohio State was significantly faster than Wisconsin, and you know I I think that. While Wisconsin is certainly one of the best teams in the country, I think Wisconsin would have got boat raised by any any one of the teams in the playoff just because they don't have the speed or the athleticism to keep up. and I, I don't think that that's a particularly hot take. Um, I think Wisconsin's a very good team, and I also think that we saw exactly what would happen if Wisconsin played a team like Clemson or Oklahoma or Georgia or even Alabama.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a fair take and something we have been saying all season in these recap podcasts that even in games that Ohio State has won the Penn State game in particular and then you look back at the two losses against Iowa and against Oklahoma and even the Michigan game last week too and it's it's been a theme of the season they've sabotaged themselves all year and it's almost felt like they have won these closer games in spite of themselves just because of that talent so You know, I don't want this podcast to be completely pessimistic and not celebrate the fact that they did just win the Big Ten title. And this is something they haven't done since 2014. And I think that this team needs to always be remembered for that and for a lot of really fun moments this season. But at the same time, there is kind of going to be that tinge of, man, what what could have been if they would have just been a little bit more consistent all year?
1: Yeah, I mean, for what, eight of the of the 11 wins this season, they were all blowouts. I mean, the Penn state win, the Michigan win and the Wisconsin win are the only ones that stick out in my mind as being any kind of close. And the two losses were both blowouts as well. So this was just a, a very, you know, extremely high highs and extremely low lows kind of team. And it was just, you know, generally those teams don't have the kind of consistency or, you know, leadership, I guess, needed to to make it into the playoff. And I don't know if that's the biggest issue with this team is a lack of, you know, veterans and leadership. And we've seen a ton of upperclassmen leaving every single year. And eventually that does take a toll on the number of leaders you have. Uh, But just it, it feels like this is a really talented team that, as you said, just really couldn't get out of their own way. And I, I think that this result is about what we
0: expected. And I think that you and I probably disagree on the playoff format and eventually expanding the playoff. I'm much more of, I, I think four teams is great. And I think for all of The criticism people are are lobbying at this, and even we saw it last night, of people saying it needs to be eight teams. Uh, The committee in in college football and the NCAA as a whole has to be loving this because every single year it generates discussion. And the the one thing, whether it's been the BCS or the playoff, that has kind of been my personal steadfast rule with teams playing for the national championship or a chance to play for the national championship – Do not lose two games, because when you lose two games, you take out all of the benefit of the doubt that you would have earned if you just lost one, because people brought up, well, Oklahoma lost to Iowa State. You get that one loss. Clemson lost to, I think, a decent Syracuse team, but a Syracuse team that still went four and eight, but they're afforded that because they just had one loss. And even though Ohio State's wins were more impressive than Alabama's, I think that for the majority of the season they were a better team than Alabama they still had two losses just like Penn State had two losses last year so I think the main takeaway for me out of this is if you want to get into the playoff don't lose two games and obviously don't lose to fucking Iowa and don't (laughs) lose to Iowa by 31 points but mainly don't lose two games and you're good and Ohio State tripped up for whatever reason I think if you play that game Nine more times, Ohio State would win and blow Iowa out for most of them. But for the one time they played, they slipped up. And after already losing to Oklahoma in kind of embarrassing fashion at home, even though there's no shame in losing to this OU team, they lost that benefit of the doubt. And I'm not going to get on this podcast and complain about it and say the committee did them wrong because they did themselves wrong. Yeah, I it, I, I mean, it's it's kind of...
1: It's kind of interesting to look back at the 2014 season when you when you say the you know the, the one loss versus two loss thing because that Ohio State team with one loss, you know, a very early loss to a, a decent to bad Virginia Tech team was nearly left out. And it's just it, it's so interesting to to look at you know playoffs in every single season how vastly different each season is because there were six legitimately you know very good, one-loss teams that season, TCU and TCU was there. Yeah, TCU and Baylor both ended up being left out. And this season, I think there are three teams that deserve to be in, and whoever was number four is probably going to get smacked. And I think Alabama is going to get smacked. Uh, I think Ohio State would have gotten smacked. It's just, it's. I I think that that's why I'm in favor of you know not setting precedents or not really caring about what the committee did in the past because every year is so vastly different and you know there are years where there's six good teams or you know seven good teams five good teams three good teams no good teams it it really it's hard to say and you cannot assume that every college football season will be even somewhat you know remotely similar because I think that that's akin to, you know, to thinking that the transitive property means anything in college football because it's just, it's such a volatile sport and there's, you know, these are college kids and there's just, you, you absolutely can't assume that anything will ever be normal in this sport. And I, I think that the committee does a good job um, of, you know, changing their <clears throat> expectations and changing what they're looking for every year to, to adapt to the season and, on the point of, you know, expanding the playoff, I, I am in favor of expanding the playoff entirely for, for selfish reasons of, I want to watch more good football that matters. Um, I mean, I I think that the four is fine. I just would enjoy watching twice as many games and, you know, watching games at home team stadiums in the first round. I I just think it'd be fun. But um, I mean, four so far has certainly created controversy and created discussions and, Generally, gotten it right. I mean, the champion every year. It's felt deserved. It's felt like it was the best team. It, it doesn't feel like, you know, a team that got left out could have won. And obviously, you, you, there's no real way to know if you know 2015 Ohio State could have ended up beating Alabama in that championship game or getting to the championship game. But it's it just it feels like the playoff has gotten it right thus far, and it's it's hard to doubt at this point if they will continue to get it right.
0: So instead of watching Ohio State on New Year's Eve, we'll be watching them on December 29th in the Cotton Bowl as they take on another two-loss conference champion, the USC Trojans in the Cotton Bowl. What uh? What are your initial reads on this game? Are you excited for Ohio State to play USC? What uh? What do you think about this one? Um, well, first thing is, I wish
1: that this was in the Rose Bowl and in Pasadena. Yes. Yes. It's it's always it's kind of a bummer that that's you know a, a playoff game and that'll be Oklahoma, Georgia instead because you know just, just just watching Ohio State, USC, four thirty on you know on New Year's Day and all in the, the Rose Bowl, yeah, yeah, all the stuff that comes with the Rose Bowl would be really fun, but. I mean, this is a good matchup. This is a really good matchup. Um, I'm not entirely sure if Ohio State will be able to do much of anything to stop USC's passing attack or Ronald Jones because that offense is really good. But, you know, on the other side, USC's defense is not particularly solid, and I I think that this is a really good matchup, and it should be a really good game. I don't think either team has a a super— large edge I don't think that there's a line out yet but I would imagine it's it'll be minus one or minus two either way I I'm looking forward to this one it should be a lot of fun
0: the earliest I saw today was Ohio State favored by six surprisingly <laughs> yeah, like t- Las, Las no. Vegas loves them some <laughs> Ohio State this year man like come hell or high water Las Vegas is favoring Ohio State but um I, I'm excited for this one I, I had a really bad taste in my mouth after the 2008 and 2009 games, especially that game, Ohio State lost at home, the USC that they should have won. So I'm excited to see them, play USC again, even if that you know doesn't mean they can exact revenge for the 09 <laughs> team, just seeing them play USC uh, again. And since there's so many people who rep USC out here in Colorado, just being able to stick it to those people, I think for me selfishly <laughs> would be nice, but you have two blue blood programs playing in, in a big game. And as we've seen around the country in, in years past with some of these uh, non-playoff or non-BCS title games between two top, talented teams, this one may come down to who's just interested more because you're going to have a lot of guys on both sides that have NFL futures not only in a couple of seasons, but guys that are going to be getting ready for the NFL draft here in like a month. And if those guys are a little bit out of it, I think you'll see that. And i I like to see that Chris Worley today came out and was like, no, like I don't think we're going to have anybody sit out the bowl. Like we're, we're ready to go. We want to win this one. And I hope all those dudes stay healthy, but um, it, it's good to see that at least for now they appear pretty locked in. So, you know, that that's a big part of games like these is just how much does one team – Want to be there, but I think if this team is focused and interested in closing things out the right way for the senior class and for JT Barrett and the kids that are going to be going early to the NFL draft, it should be a lot of fun. Like you referenced, I hope that Ohio State watches USC's screen game because they have about a month to do that, and Wisconsin, as we saw yesterday, was able to exploit that with their tight ends and fullbacks. So I think that USC is a really good matchup for them and uh, it should be a fun game
1: boy let's let's hope ohio state scores some points that's that's all i want score score more than zero points and i will be pleased um yeah it should be it should be a fun game i'm looking forward to it um let's let's shift gears a little bit let's talk about wisconsin um this this game was really kind of it was it felt like I had whiplash for much of this game because Ohio State came out so strong kind of like it felt like we saw both versions of Ohio State in the first quarter and you know in this game as a whole it you know the, we we saw the good offense we saw a massive Terry McLaurin pat, you know, touchdown pass 84 yards I think um and we saw a big Paris Campbell touchdown reception as well, where it was his only reception of the day, and he he pretty much made the whole play. It was just a screen pass. But we also saw a really bad interception and some really dumb play calls, and you know not giving the ball to J.K. Dobbins or you know giving the ball too much to Mike Weber or running it with a quarterback whose meniscus was just you know, injured recently and had surgery on. And it's just, we, we saw that and we saw the questions, but we also saw a really explosive offensive performance in the first quarter and really in the first half. And it just completely went away in the second half. And this was, this was a really interesting game, at least in, in my mind. It was, it wasn't great football, but it was, it was interesting to see.
0: As we discussed earlier about their inconsistencies, for me, this game was pretty much their whole season in a nutshell. In that first quarter, explosive plays the two long touchdown passes the interception by Barrett inside their their red zone some questionable play calls uh, some missed opportunities and but there were times where they just looked completely dominant on both sides of the ball the defense made plays when they have to the Denzel Ward interception they were able to get off the field I think Wisconsin was only one of five on third downs in the first half but they just weren't really able to put the game out of reach. And, and to me, this just felt like their whole season in a nutshell, especially in the first half because they were up 21-10 to 10 in that, that last drive of the first half. Barrett missed on two what would have been likely touchdown passes, one to K.J. Hill on a third and one, and then one uh, to Johnny Dixon over the middle with about 20 seconds left before they settled with a field goal and. The special teams problems seemed to pop up like once big time each game and they had the kick blocked at the end of the half that would have made it 24 to 10. So it just felt like especially after that first half that they dominated but they were just letting Wisconsin hang around as we saw for the Penn State game as we saw with the Michigan game at points even though they came back in both of those games. But just those inconsistencies they, they popped up again even though that they looked dominant for stretches of the game.
1: Yeah, and you, you mentioned the drive <clears throat> I want to say it was late in the in the first half, uh, that that ended in a in a field goal. Um, I think it was the one with the field goal blocked. Um, fourteen plays, forty nine yards, three minutes, forty two seconds. And that drive I, I think was the one where there was three or four wide open deep balls I mean just absolutely yep. wide open I think there was a drop I think Johnny Dixon had a drop but it, there were three just completely missed you know overthrown or thrown completely inaccurately deep balls with it would have been touchdowns and it, it felt like that happened quite a bit in this game that there were you know just missed opportunities missed chances to to score into you know, to, to put the game away. I mean, Ohio State was up 21-7 at this point. It could have been 28-7 going into the, the half. I think that's correct. Um, but just it, it it felt like Ohio State could not get out of their own way. And we've seen it so much. And the, I mean, the three touchdown drives, I'm looking at the, the drive chart, four plays, four plays, three plays, just, you know, big plays were pretty much all Ohio State had offensively. And that's I mean better than than what we saw last season where there were no big plays at all and the only time Ohio State scored was with these grinding awful drives but I it's just the inconsistency the inability to pass the really odd play calls it's it's you know it kind of starts to wear on you and I I hope that Ohio State opens up the playbook (laughs) against USC a little bit and let's JT Barrett throw the ball, or JT Barrett, let's JT Barrett throw the ball, because I'm really sick of watching the read option and watching quarterback draws on third and four. It's just, it, it, it's tiring.
0: Explosive plays were basically the story of the game offensively for him because the uh, McLaurin 84-yard touchdown, the Campbell's 57-yard touchdown, J.K. Dobbins' 77-yard run, and then Dobbins' 53-yard run in the second half were basically more than half of their offense, because outside of those plays, Ohio State ran 62 plays for 178 yards for 2.9 yards per play for the rest of the game. That's shout out to Chad Peltier, our our stats guy here at Land Grant Holy Land. You can check out his column recapping the game and some of the advanced stats from that. So there really wasn't any of the efficiency that we've come to expect from this offense. And they've been more explosive than last year, but pretty much they were t- that's really all they were yesterday last night was just explosive with those four plays and a couple of other you know 10 8 7 yard runs and then just kind of trying to grind it out on the ground and then maybe some short passes sprinkled in here or there we saw a lot of bubble screens but explosive plays basically saved the day for the offense but on the subject of JT Barrett um This is interesting, and the conversation with him after these games always is. different every week. (laughs) Well, and especially when they win like this, and this is something that I put on Twitter on the Land Grant account after the game is I think that it's fair to say, it's definitely fair to say that JT Barrett did not play well. No, He was, what, 12 of 26 passing the ball for, I'm pulling it up right now, 211 211 yards, two touchdowns two interceptions, which we'll get to. Both of them were terrible. They were really so bad. bad. But at the same time, I think that there's something to be said for that no matter what, whenever the coaches ask him to do anything, he doesn't. And the fact that this kid was coming off fucking knee surgery <laughs> on Sunday after already hurting his knee once before and had a season-high in carries, which I think is a product of some questionable coaching yeah. in and of itself. Yeah, let's
1: give him 19 carries after knee surgery. That's smart.
0: Yeah, God. like I, and, I, and I don't want to do the whole football guy thing and say, like, oh, JT Barrett is a warrior and <laughs> lionize him guy. like that. Yeah. That is something that's very admirable. And uh, even if you're a JT Barrett hater, the, the fact that he's the guy that this team and this coaching staff counts on, whether that's right or wrong, is and he always steps up to the plate and does it I I think goes to show what type of leader he is what he's meant to the program what he's meant to Urban Meyer and the coaching staff and that um he'll always be there when they need to play and sometimes he doesn't make it but we saw last night and we've seen throughout his whole career for the most part he does even if it, the uh, the whole process of it may be frustrating at times, but I think there is something to say for him gutting out that game like he did last night.
1: Yeah, and this certainly I would not consider this to be a good performance from JT Barrett. But I also no, not no, at all. I
0: also will
1: not. I I can't blame him for you know, having, you know, he's for struggling a bit to, to be consistent, especially running, uh, but throwing and just being in rhythm in general. I really can't blame him for that because he just had surgery, you know, and I, I certainly couldn't play football after getting surgery six days before. I mean, I couldn't play football healthy, but... Just and there's there's certainly something to be said for, you know, him toughing it out and him being a warrior, you know, as as Kellen Winslow Jr. would say, he's a soldier, you know, <laughs> things like that. But like, I feel like, you know, when I can't, well, I can't blame J T. Barrett. I can absolutely blame the coaching staff for yes. a baffling, stupid decision to play a quarterback that obviously wasn't healthy.
0: That that's something I wanted to talk about because I I think that that is something that really nobody brought up except for Brown's (laughs) left tackle, Joe Thomas on Twitter during the game. Like all shout outs go to JT Barrett for being able to gut that out and have the performance he did, even though, even if it wasn't that great, but the fact that the coaches let him play this game, because I caught a lot of hell on Twitter today for talking about the play calling and talking about, you know, wondering why there were so many deep balls, even though there were guys open, like he struggled with that before. How do you think he's going to do with, a hurt knee coming off of surgery when he has to plant and throw. And they were like, well, you know, you don't want him to run the ball. You don't want him to pass the ball. Do you just want him to sit? And it's like, yeah, man, he just had knee surgery six days ago. Like for the kids' health and safety, um, uh, yeah, I, I would have preferred that Haskins played, that Dwayne Haskins played that game last night, not because I think it would have been better for the offense, but I, I think that um, I, I don't think it was right for them to play him. Last night after that. And we don't know anything about the pain threshold that JT Barrett has, but I I thought that that was at best a questionable decision by the coaching staff to uh, to let that happen. And I I certainly was not comfortable with it while it was happening.
1: Yeah, and this is something that I I think is kind of hypocritical that I've seen in the Ohio State fan base is supporting, you know, J.T. Barrett being a warrior and gutting it out and, you know, Ohio State giving him the chance to play after spending years making fun of Brady Hoke for doing essentially the same thing with Shane Morris. Obviously on a bit of a different level. You you don't put a quarterback with a concussion in, in the game, which is what he did. But just the... Playing I mean, I get that it's you know, it's a conference championship. He's never got to play in a conference championship. He's registered senior final year and I get that you want him to go out with a bang and, and you know, get that win, get his get his title, get to play in one. But when it comes down to it, JT Barrett is, is significantly younger than all of the people in charge of making those decisions and significantly less in tune with what his future will hold if he hurts his leg again. If I yeah. mean, there's there there's no reason for a coaching staff, for a group of administrators, for a medical staff to let a young man play and possibly ruin his his body and his legs for the rest of his life, just because he thinks that he's okay and because he said that he was going to play. If he's not a hundred percent, you should not let him play. That that is just there's there's no reason to make him risk that to to prove that he's tough or to prove that he's you know that he's the leader of the team he he should not have to do that and you know it's just it's unfair to him and obviously he wanted to play and you know would have uh, he would not have been happy had he not gotten the chance to play but you have to you know, the, the the training staff, the coaching staff, you have to be the adults in the room and you have to step in and you have to protect this guy because he is, I mean, that's that's not the kind of thing that the conference championships, college football only matters so much. And I care more about JT Barrett's long-term health. JT Barrett, I'm sure, cares plenty about his long-term health. This coaching staff should care more about his long-term health. And that was just really upsetting to see. And I just, I I hope that he's healthy for the ball game. And if he's not, I hope that they play Dwayne Haskins because he should not have to play on a knee that was just very recently repaired or any other kind of injury like that. That's just, it it was very disappointing.
0: And even outside of that fact that they would give him 19 carries, (laughs) and not all of those were designed, some of those were keeps, but we saw the Barrett smash on that split zone run which uh Ross Fulton brought up on Twitter that's like when they put JT Barrett in the Ohio State Athletics Hall of Fame that is the video you show of him running that Barrett slash Tebow smash right up the middle I thought you know not only from a perspective of like how are you just going to justify doing that with a guy that just had knee surgery but like from a play calling standpoint like that was I think so uncreative and so unoriginal and we saw um, we'll get to this when we talk about the second half of the game a little bit more that fourth down call at the, uh, when they kicked that final field goal, like man, JT Barrett really bailed them out there, but moving on to some positive stuff before we talk about how the game finished and some of the plays Ohio state made to win the big 10 title, uh, where they really controlled this game in my mind was along the trenches in on both sides of the ball. And, uh, we haven't talked much about the offensive line this season. And that's probably a good thing. We've definitely talked about them less than we did in 2016, but I thought they did a really awesome job last night. They didn't allow a single sack. They kept their quarterback upright the whole game. They only allowed two tackles for loss. And this was a Wisconsin defense that came into the game, number one rated defense in S&P+, number one in havoc rate, and Ohio State rushed for 238 yards and gave JT Barrett time, pretty much all night to sit back in the pocket and at least attempt to make some plays there. So I I thought that those guys were were pretty awesome last night.
1: Yeah, the, the offensive line has been really good all season. Isaiah Prince has been great. Um, you know, Jamarco Jones, Billy Price, all those guys, they've really impressed me. I I have not had very many complaints at all about the offensive line. And the offensive line is, I think, probably the least of Ohio State's concerns offensively outside of, you know, maybe the running back's core. Um, It's just they, you know, they dominated the, the line of scrimmage, as they've done in pretty much every game. And they, you know, as they said, as you said, they gave JT time. They opened up holes for J.K. Dobbins to run. And they they played a really good game. And I think on the other side of the ball, uh, the line of scrimmage, Ohio State won, you know, as well. I think that Ohio State's defensive line was very good. Um, they were pressuring. Out. They were pressuring Alex Hornibrook consistently for you know pretty much the entire game, forcing him to throw before he was ready, and it was obvious in the fact that he looked really bad for the entire game. I, I don't remember an impressive throw from him. He he was not good, and that's largely you know due to the fact that Ohio State dominated a very good Wisconsin offensive line, and that was that was impressive to see. So. When when Ohio State loses games and when they have lost games this season is because of struggles on the line of scrimmage. And to see them really dominate the line of scrimmage against one of the best teams in the country up front was uh, a, a good sign and uh, really impressive.
0: Three sacks, five tackles for loss for the Ohio State defensive line. And the guy that stood out the most was Nick Bosa. And I, I've referenced it on this podcast before, but I'm going to say it again. When he first popped up on the recruiting radar and then signed with Ohio State, I remember seeing a few people talk about, oh, he he might be just as good, if not better, than his brother. And I thought, like, come on, get get out of here. There's no way because Joey Bosa is probably the best defensive player I can remember seeing personally for me ever at Ohio State, especially on the defensive line. And that's saying something. And Nick Bosa, man, it's just an absolute yeah. monster. And I, I don't want to say he single-handedly wrecked Wisconsin's line because I think all those dudes had a huge game. Draymond Jones didn't have a big stat game, but he was pushing guards into the backfield all night and pressuring Alex Hornybrook. But, man, Nick Bosa was just on a whole other level. And uh, Joey was able to repeat as... Big Ten Defensive Lineman of the Year in 2014 and 2015, and I think that Nick Bosa is well on his way to doing the same and being a top five pick, just like Joey. Yeah, it
1: was, it was a great performance from the from the defensive line. Um, looking around in the uh, speaking of the, the defensive front seven, uh, Jerome Baker, holy shit, sixteen tackles. It's, it's about time, solo, man. One sack, two. We've for been a waiting. Loss where did this come from he looked i mean there was there was one i think he had one blown coverage on a third down he he let a i think it was a fullback slip away on a reroute, which is you know wisconsin will do that to you uh but he looked he looked great he he didn't take those stupid pursuit angles that he's kind of gotten used to taking he attacked the ball carrier he, I mean, he looked like Jerome Baker. He looked like the Jerome Baker that we, you know, we, we came to know last year and the Jerome Baker we expected. And, and, you know, he had an excellent game. Tough Borland, I think, had a very good game. He he struggled early with Wisconsin's tight ends and fullbacks and the very dumb offense that they run. But he, you know, seven, seven tackles, six solo. Uh, I thought he played well. Chris Worley, I thought, looked good. He uh, he hurried the quarterback. He had five tackles, three solo. I I mean... The linebackers, to their credit, they they played well against a team that I really thought would take advantage of a bad linebacker play. So, uh, you know, good job by Jerome Baker, Tuff Borland, and, and Chris Worley. They really surprised me.
0: Yeah, I thought that those guys played well. Definitely uh, still had some issues in the linebacker core, like you mentioned with uh, the passing game and the screen game. Wisconsin went heavy on the tight end and fullback play, and those guys had, like, I think 130 combined receiving yards, so it still worked. But um, I thought one area they stood out was in run defense as well. Not only defensive line, but the linebackers filled gaps. They completely dominated the Wisconsin run game, held Jonathan Taylor to 15 carries for 41 yards. Wisconsin only had 60 yards rushing total. Their previous low coming into last night's game was 109 versus Northwestern. And when you can do that to Wisconsin, uh, that's saying something, and it's very impressive. So the defense as a whole, I thought, played one of their better games of the season. And uh, Denzel Ward, too, man, like... Say, say goodbye to Denzel Ward. His last game's against USC. Like, <laughs> yeah, he Yeah, Denzel is Ward's going to get and, paid. Man, he's good. Somebody I'm looking forward to watching, too. He didn't play in the secondary at all. Jeffrey Okuda had a couple of uh, nice plays on special teams. And uh, I think that he's going to be able to crack that rotation. He should be able to crack that rotation with the guys they have coming back pretty easily. Uh, other things, guy we haven't really got into yet. Maybe I guess this is saving the uh, the best for last the Big Ten Championship game MVP rushed for 174 yards on 17 carries, and that would be J.K. Dobbins. Um, probably, I want to say this was a month ago. I can't remember which game it was that uh, that you and I were recapping, but you said something that I, I thought was kind of crazy at the time, but now I think I'm starting to agree with it. And you said that uh, J.K. Dobbins has the potential – to be a better running back than Ezekiel Elliott. And I thought, you know, trait-wise, I don't really know. Like, he's, he's a great freshman. But after watching him play for a full season, he doesn't have the speed Zeke does. And I don't think he ever is going to have that breakaway speed. And we saw that on the two long runs that he had last night. But just in terms of what he's able to do everywhere else with his vision, with his patience, with the way that he can make guys miss in a short area... He's really, really, really special. Finishes the season with 1,364 yards rushing. That's 14th nationally. And this is a guy that I think the coaching staff pretty much neglected for parts of the season. And the fact that he was able to do that and do the damage that he did in last night's game, I, I just can't really say how how much I'm impressed with what type of running back he is as a true freshman.
1: Yeah, J.K. Dobbins, I, I believe, set the, the the Ohio State you know rushing yeah. yards record as a freshman i think he might have done that last week but they i know they showed a graphic of the the freshman or the the running backs that he was in company with um and it was like ezekiel elliot or not ezekiel Elliott. it was like eddie george um i think archie griffin may have been on there it was it was robert just,
0: smith and yeah claret. robert
1: smith claret, yeah claret of course is the one that always comes to mind the freshman that that kind of is synonymous with being a dominant freshman running back. And I think JK Dobbins is better than all of those guys were as freshmen. Um, I, I, don't think that there's really much question about that. And he is just unbelievably good. I mean, not, I don't think he's the top end athlete that Ezekiel Elliott was, or even really that Maurice Claret was because Maurice Claret was just an absolute tank and, is it free? I mean, yeah, he's just he was he was massive and he, he moved very fast for someone at that large. But J.K. Dobbins, his his running back instincts, his ability to to juke, to make guys miss his vision, patience. He has. I mean, I don't think that I don't think that I would question it at all if J.K. Dobbins could succeed in the NFL next season. I, I think that he would absolutely have success in the NFL next season at 19 or 20 years old. I mean, he he doesn't have the, the athletic high end, like I said, but he is as talented a running back as I, as I have seen at Ohio State just in terms of pure skill, technical skill and you know running back traits that come from from practice and from you know time playing the position he is as natural of a running back as i have ever seen and i'm so excited to watch him for two more seasons and i just i hope ohio state doesn't waste him because he is unbelievably talented and he he showed it on the biggest stage ohio state's played in this season you know 17 carries 174 yards and You know, two of those obviously came off or a lot of those yards came off the two big runs, seventy seven and I wanna say fifty three. But he's just he's outstanding and he's he's so much fun to watch and he did it against a really good defense and I I think that he will continue to dominate for the next two seasons and that's that's really exciting.
0: And it's the little things that make him so special. He just does everything well and if you go back and uh watch That last drive before, I think it was before halftime, on the fourth and short call, the fourth and one, they ran the speed option for whatever reason. Kill the speed option. that (laughs) That has not worked in a number of years for Ohio State, and it didn't work later in the game when they were trying to close out the game either. But that fourth and one, Dobbins got stopped either at the line or behind the line and was able to drive at least one Wisconsin linebacker, like two yards upfield, and just power forward for the first down. And that's a play that isn't going to go on a highlight reel at all, but uh, it's one that stood out to me as one that, like, man, a true freshman should not be able to make a play like this. Um, Any other stuff that we missed? We we didn't really talk about the second half and how that shook out, but there were a bunch of plays that I, I think go back to that theme of Inconsistency and winning, not solely, but mostly because the talent was just better. And a lot of sequences in this game that were really, really puzzling. And the one that stood out the most was we referenced earlier the J K, the J T Barrett, uh, that second interception. That was woof.
1: Yeah, I mean, did you, Marcus Ball, dude, come on! <laughs> I know Urban Meyer was yelling at him on the sidelines after that for really not making much of an effort. And it's just that both interceptions were just absolutely awful. And we've seen some bad interceptions this season. And that's really uncharacteristic of, of JT Barrett. There was the four in the Iowa game that were, I mean, I think each one was worse than the last, which is impressive. But it just, you know, the, the I th- it feels like the two interceptions, he just did not see the field fully. And that's, that's rare for him. And I, I'm not... I'm not entirely concerned about it. Obviously, there's only one game left of his career at Ohio State, so it's you know it's a little bit too late now to to try and fix that. But yeah, some some really bad mistakes in this game from Ohio State, and those those two interceptions were among the you know the worst of them. Um, real quick, just got to give a shout out to our, our favorite Ohio State player, Drew Chrisman. 46 a good game. 46 yard average uh 55 yard long two downed inside the 20, two 50 plus yard punts on five attempts he is not the most talented freshman on ohio state's team but he's the second best freshman on ohio state's team right now that dude is good
0: yeah no disagreement from me here there there was the one punt uh before the half that either like got partially blocked Or something weird happened with it, and I think they called the running into the kicker, but Borland had blocked whatever Wisconsin defender that was going after Chrisman into him, so maybe that was the reason it was a little bit short. But other than that, he was booming them the rest of the game, and as we saw with Cam Johnson in his four years, when you have a guy like that that can flip field for an offense that tends to sputter at times, you forget about how much that means, but so much of Ohio State's success has been due to field position in being able to win those hidden yardage battles against their opponents to such high degree that it plays a massive factor in the game that i think that uh going forward with drew chrisman that's uh that's definitely something to look out for you never want to punt but if you do it's nice to have a good punter and folks drew chrisman is a damn good punter
1: yeah he's he's making jim trussell proud but uh, I mean, we saw even in this game with 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 Wisconsin, Ohio State was consistently, you know, playing out of their own ten, even their own five yard line, because you know their punter Anthony Lottie yeah. or, or Lodi, I think it's Lottie. Uh, he had you know five downed inside the twenty. He was very good, and that that matters. We saw it in the in the Sugar goal against um, Alabama with J.K. Scott, who's somehow still there and still booming punts. Um, you know that really does affect a game, and it's just it's a little thing but special teams have hurt ohio state so much this year it's it's really nice to have a consistent punter and you know that that sounds kind of silly to say that that's a that's a big deal but you know yeah shout out shout out drew Christman. that's that's a good guy to have and i'd certainly rather have a good puncher than a bad puncher and that's you know that i think drew chrisman's a really good punter so it's just little things like that matter a lot and it's it's little things like that that separate good teams from great teams
0: the last thing that really i have to get to from this game was on that last uh field goal drive for ohio state that made it 27 to 21 it went 15 plays 72 yards they converted two third downs plus the fourth down run from jt barrett and i want to talk about that fourth and one play (laughs) because we we referenced the uh the barrett smash and i I don't know how many times they ran it it had to be at least like six or seven at at the very least and Wisconsin, for some reason, was kind of like caught off guard by it for the first like two and a half quarters. Never see it but coming. for the last <laughs> for the last four times they called it, like they were ready, and it was a struggle to get those yards. And like I don't know if you can call it even cojones or arrogance, but the fact that they called that on fourth and one, and I mean like for Barrett to make the play that he did. Because Wisconsin just blew up the middle. They basically – those dudes just dove at the feet of Ohio State's offensive linemen and just tried to muck up everything in the middle to make Barrett go outside, and he did. And he was able to barely get that first down, and it felt like we had like three more spot is good calls last night. Like this (laughs) this keeps happening. But, you know, JT really saved the coach's bacon yesterday – With that call because Wisconsin who knows if they drive down they're able to they only need a field goal instead of a touchdown but I I don't know if the game turns out different but I'm glad we didn't find out but for them to call that on fourth and one I think even just throwing aside the result the process of that was uh, was pretty epically terrible, I think. Yeah, I
1: mean, <clears throat> I hope next season the quarterback smash is gone. I'm sure it won't be because Meyer refuses to take plays out of his playbook or change uh, the things that he does. <laughs> so Tate Martell will be the starting quarterback or something stupid like that so that they can keep running it. But, uh, yeah, I mean for JT Barrett to make that play, it was, it was shades of Braxton Miller, essentially against Penn state, that absurd touchdown run. Uh, and to do that on one leg was, I mean, kind of, I think kind it it kind of showed his career in a nutshell and the kind of things that he's been doing for Ohio state for the past, you know, four seasons. And he just, he makes plays like that. And it's, it's little plays like that, that add up and you know, even when he doesn't have a very good game, he absolutely changes the game in a positive way for Ohio State, and he makes those plays. He's the guy that they trust to make those plays, and he almost always, you know, converts. He almost always makes it work. And, I mean, you know, Spot was great. The spot was extremely good and uh, all spots are very good until proven otherwise. And it was just yet another very good spot and yet another outstanding play in what has been an outstanding career for JT Barrett, even in a down game.
0: Well said. Do you have anything else you want to hit from this game? I'm sure we missed a ton in this is like the most woe is me podcast for an 11 and two team <laughs> the, ever. So the, the I apologize. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like you, if, If there are other fan bases that listen to this podcast, they're going to be like, screw these guys. Like they just won 11 games, won the conference championship. And it's just like, oh yeah, just another season. So we don't mean to keep it pessimistic because at the end of the day, it, when you win double-digit games, you beat Michigan for the sixth time in a row, you're able to beat Penn State the way that they did, and you win a Big Ten title. This certainly, I, in my mind, is a successful season. I think there's always going to be that, uh, that creeping in the back of your head, just like there was in 2015, of a little bit of what could have been. Probably not as much as there was for that team, but... Um, like you said earlier, the ceiling for this team could have been the best in the country, and so I think it's fair to always wonder uh, that, you know, when you when you look back on this team. But it's hard to be upset about an eleven and two Ohio State team that wins the Big Ten. Yeah, and um,
1: just just real quick, shout out to the turf guy. Uh, that was yeah. one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Uh, during a football broadcast and unrelated to this game, but related to college football. Shout out to New Mexico State getting bowl eligible. Um, I believe they're in the Arizona Bowl. So first time in like 52 years. So shout out to the Aggies.
0: Yeah, and the the great thing about this is even though the regular season and conference championship week is over, we are headed right into bowl season and we're going to have a ton of content here on Land Grant Holy Land uh, coming up for the Cotton Bowl. We'll talk with our friends at Conquest Chronicles to preview the game. From a USC perspective, so make sure to lock it into landgrantholyland.com as bowl season rolls around. We also have uh, the early signing day period coming up here in what a couple just a couple of weeks, just over two weeks. So, um, even though the season is almost over and there's only one game left, there it's it's non stop, man. It's always non stop with Ohio State football, and we will have all that news covered on landgrantholyland.com. Follow us on Twitter at LandGrant33. Patrick, where can they reach you?
1: They can reach me at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. Spelled how it sounds um i spent the day kind of hoping for an 18 playoff wishing for an 18 playoff simulated (laughs) an 18 playoff so if that's something you're interested in uh feel free to follow me and then instantly unfollow me when you see any of my good tweets
0: (laughs) but yeah and and follow me on twitter at DubsCo. uh please don't send me and patrick any sort of tweets about us bitching about ohio state this season i love those just tell us how much (laughs) Tell tell us how much you love the podcast and how much you appreciate it. How how great work we've done this season, even if you're lying. Call me we pretty. Yeah, call
1: me pretty it. on Twitter, please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> also go to soundcloud.com/slash Grant holy land, find the show there. And please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast by searching the hangout in the Holy Land. And while you are there, It would be much appreciated by us if you guys left us a star rating and a review. We're not going to tell you to leave five stars. We want you to be honest and uh, leave some feedback about what you guys think about the show and what we can do to make this better for you, the listener, because at the end of the day, that is all this is about, is entertaining you guys and giving you the best Ohio State podcast out there. And uh, for whatever it's worth, we'll shout you out on the show if you leave us a review. So, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and leave a star rating for us there. It is greatly appreciated whenever you guys interact with us and let us know what you think about the show. That's going to wrap up today's episode. want to thank you all again for listening. Be on the lookout for all of our coverage of the Cotton Bowl versus USC and everything going on with National Signing Day coming up and Ohio State basketball. We have plenty more episodes Headed to your ears. Until next time, though, for Patrick Mayhorn, my name is Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks.